Welcome to the Race, Health, and Happiness podcast. It is not enough to just survive these holidays in this racialized world. We're going to learn together to sur-thrive. I am your host, Dr. O. So this is our special holiday episode, and in the spirit of kind of taking a break and just doing things a little bit differently, today I'm not doing the interviewing. In fact, it's Dr. Carl who is going to be interviewing me. So hello, Dr. Carl. <laughs> hello, Dr. O. This is very exciting. It's December of 2022. The holidays are fast approaching, and we figured... Let's first of all, let's take a little break because we've been working hard all season. Season three, I think, has been a success by any measure. Yes. And shout out to our team of students and volunteers um, and to our partners. It's just been phenomenal. Absolutely. Phenomenal. And uh, and not to not to uh, mention or not to forget, actually, that we have a great team of students who've really brought an energy, uh, a passion, a youthfulness to the show. And I, I think people who've listened probably have, have uh, picked up on it. And, you know, you could even you could really hear that on the, in the JL episode. JL yes. Joseph. Yes. Yes. And she was fantastic. And uh, at the end of the, the episode today, we're going to talk a little bit about the future of RHH and how those students are going to be playing a bigger and bigger role. You'll have to stay tuned for that. But for now, yes. we want to make sure that uh, all of you out there are well, are taking advantage of this time of the holidays. I know for some, this can be stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some, it can be uh, a difficult time to kind of manage the the pressures, sometimes economic pressures, sometimes family conflict, sometimes the isolation, more recently, the isolation of, of COVID and, and other issues. So we wanted to, to create a little bit of space here for some joy. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and that seems weird trying to create space over the holidays for joy. But the holidays... First of all, we call it the holidays, but of course it's holidays for very, you know, it's Christian holidays um, overlaps somewhat temporarily with Jewish holidays. For But for many people, their holidays actually happen at different times of the year, right? They're major religious holidays. Yeah. Or if you're not religious, then, you know, it's really a bunch of statutory um, <laughs> holidays. But nonetheless, it's time that is um, available for, you know, rest and reflection, but nonetheless can be filled intentionally, especially as BIPOC folks, with joy. And so that's really what I wanted us um, to think about in the context of, you know, our this podcast is about, you know, as I said, not just survival, but sur-thrival. So how are we thriving um, as much as we can over this period of time? Um, so, yeah, so, so we're going to, you know, dive into that a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, one thing I think that's great about, regardless of how you decide to observe this time of year or not, um, the opportunity to get together with other people. Now, COVID aside, um, you know, traditionally, uh, and I know you were telling me a little bit about your childhood and your experience of the holidays and how getting together with people was such an important part, I think, for many people. Um, and oftentimes it's sort of like that food, folks, and fun. You got the... Ah, I like that. The good music. Well, <laughs> I stole that from McDonald's, actually. But. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yes. people getting together, listening to good music, feeling festive, sharing food, sharing, you know, uh, fellowship and companionship with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me, I just want to go over that because it was such, it gave me such a warm feeling when you talked about the your experience of the holidays as a young person. Yeah, no. So I was reflecting on it in the context. So, of course, we're talking about joy 
broadly, right? We 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 kind of um, really center the BIPOC narrative. But I'm coming at this from my lens as a Black woman, right, and as a Black Canadian. And so, you know, when I think about like Black joy and the things that we do in the context of particularly, so I'm Christian, right? So Christian holidays, um, and trying to reframe it in a way that includes our representation, right? Um, I don't know if, you know, folks have really had an opportunity to fully reflect on this, but for um, for for us as descendants of Africa, uh, whether through the transatlantic slave trade or still back home on the, on the continent, many of us um, through colonization became Christian. So there's this weird tension where we celebrate a holiday that was really not intended to include us in the way that it was given to us, right? And so whether it's, you know, in our reflections of, you know, Jesus, which for many of us was a blonde and blue eyed person, which we know is false, um, or it's Christmas and Santa Claus, it's like we're we're not represented. But there's so many ways in which um, black folks have historically either, uh, you know, on the continent of Africa, at least brought in other uh, historical traditions, or there's just ways that we remix, rejoice and reframe the holidays. So... In, um, in my household, so growing up in, in Montreal, so my mom is Trini and my dad is Nigerian, um, two things came to mind about the way we kind of like remix things to rejoice and have representation. Um, so one was um, my mom was very active in the Nigerian Association in, um, in Montreal. And so the women came together and they were just like, you know, we want to do something so the kids feel that, you know, Santa isn't just this character that they see who is basically like a European who's giving them gifts. So they had the idea of um, having like a Nigerian Santa, like basically a black Santa, right? And so it was a really fun thing that they thought of. I, you know, really appreciated that because they were kind of being creative in the context in which they were, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and being intentional about understanding how to bring that joy to children. And, you know, at that time I was a child, but for us to see ourselves represented, so it would it would take place. Um, there would be like a big Nigerian Christmas dinner in a hall. Um, so it was a big thing for the association. And then partway through, um, Nigerian Santa would come, who like had come from the North Pole but stopped in Lagos <laughs> and came through. <laughs> now we all knew um, who it was. It was a community member, and I I, I, I can say his name because we all knew, you know, that it was it was Doctor Ohiri, right? So it was Doctor Ohiri. He had kids. We all knew it was Doctor Ohiri. Mm-hmm. I was like. Eight or nine. Trust me, we all knew it was him. Um, the Santa suit was not that <laughs> that great. But we loved it, right? We loved it for two reasons. It was cool to see a black Santa. And the second reason was, I mean, we were kids, so it was an opportunity to get a gift like four days before Christmas or three days before Christmas yeah. and be able to open it up. And we opened it up in community, right? Like right. we were all celebrating Christmas. Like there's probably maybe 200 people in the hall. Um, and it was such a beautiful memory. And I think it's those creative ways that people do that that are so important. And I know like Black Santa is a thing um, in the United States, even in my own um, neighborhood in East York. This, the store near me has like a, a weekend where they have Black Santa, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So I think it's important for kids to see that representation. But I think that was such a cool and creative way. Um, the second one was when I was older and my mom just kind of opened up our household to like um, a number of my friends and our family friends who uh, were not 
Christian, so, you know, who are Muslim or who are, you know what I mean, at home for the holidays and it wasn't their holiday season. But we would just like all be like eating and having fun, dancing or, you know, when I got older, playing video games, you know, as as youth, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like Egyptian friends, like friends from different backgrounds. Right. Yes. And I think that's a, another way that my family kind of like remixed and rejoiced and, and reframed the holidays in a way that when I reflect on it now, uh-huh. I really appreciate. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, that reminds me when you talk about you know, how people in the African diaspora have found ways to inculcate culture into these sort of um, traditional uh, Western structures. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminds me of my Christmas experiences as a kid. So I also grew up in Montreal a little bit uh, earlier than you. A little bit older. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I admit that. (laughs) But interestingly, my Christmas experience with my family really didn't have anything to do with Montreal. What we would do is we would make a pilgrimage. My my late mother was from the United States in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm. So we would drive from... Montreal to Pittsburgh in Western Whoa. Pennsylvania. It was How like long is that? 12 hours on the road. Oh my gosh. And part of it's in the snow because it's Montreal. Yeah, because you're going through Buffalo and through that sort of snow belt. So some some years it was a little dicey. Okay. But, Dedication. <laughs> All right. Continue. So, so yes, that, that whole Christmas Serious. story. Though, I, I resonated with the Christmas story um, and the pilgrimage to, to Beth or the, the journey to Bethlehem. Uh, because every year we would do this journey to, to Pittsburgh to see mm. Grandma. And, you know, so my grandma was... African-American, grew up in the African-American church. Um, You know, long story short, she had um, four siblings, so big family, lots of cousins there in Pittsburgh. Um, And I just remember some of those sort of African-American traditions, the big get-together with the family, the food. You know, you had your turkey and ham and collard greens and mac and cheese. And, you know, the food was a big part of it. But at the end of the day, it was a great opportunity to see family get together. Mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, we'd go to church and listen to, you know, the gospel Christmas uh, uh, music. And then, you know, Christmas morning, we'd wake up and, and open our presents and grandma liked to spoil us. So that never hurts. Either. <laughs> so that was, yes. that was good. So those are sort of the, my warm memories of being a younger person. Later on, when I got older, um, so my, my dad, who is actually from Congo, uh, and is very much... He was, uh, you know, a black studies teacher at uh, school. He's a he's a teacher and educator, and uh, was very interested. He, he's kind of um, that kind of academic sort, mm-hmm. so, like us. Yeah, yes, <laughs> you're like that sort. <laughs> That's like literally who we are. But I'm um, gone. <laughs> but in my uh, in my experience, though, in talking to friends uh, and 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 family and so on who come from African backgrounds. Um, and when when you talk about Kwanzaa, they say, well, you know, what is what is this thing? It's sort of in their minds. Oftentimes it's this made up thing. And in fact, it is. Yeah. It was made up specifically to help African-Americans who had been disconnected from their roots to, to, to feel some connection to the to the motherland, to Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, to me, that's a that's a positive thing. It may not have that authenticity of a, for coming from a particular region or people mm-hmm. or you know what have you but it it uh, i think it, it allows a time for reflection so having said all of that uh my dad wasn't so much into the christmas but he knew about kwanzaa and he wanted my sister and i to experience it so mm-hmm. he actually my dad likes to build stuff he built a little um candle holder because mm-hmm. in in the tradition of kwanzaa there are seven candles it's uh, seven nights it starts on the 26th the day after christmas uh, mm-hmm. december 26th runs to january 1st 
each night you light a candle. So it resembles the the tradition, the Jewish tradition of Hanukkah. Yes, yes. But in this case, as we lit each candle each night, there's a different principle of Kwanzaa that um, in, in the way we celebrated it, we would all sort of go around the, the circle and reflect on that uh, uh, principle. So for oh, example, cool. self-determination is one of them. Oh. So on that night, you would talk about, you know, what does that mean to you? What mm. can we do in this year moving forward to uh, exemplify that that principle? So again, to me, that was a very, it was about people. It was about that connection. It was about very cool. connecting with culture, but also kind of Taking a moment, and maybe maybe for me, uh, the holidays, it's that theme of taking a pause, mm-hmm. thinking about who we are, what we want to do, who are we in relation to the people that we love and the people around us. Yes. And then moving forward in the new year with this, this fresh perspective. No, I love that because, like, I love it for many reasons. I read about Kwanzaa, like, as a child, but I have to revisit it again because I really want to dive into those um, seven principles, right? But I think, again... As you said, for African Americans, that you know, due to the transatlantic slave trade and the and the violence, uh, you know, lost, uh, you know, their their African traditions connection to that, and then creating a new holiday that has people feel connected, like in a Pan African way, I think is almost finding. So we talk. I said, you know, rejoicing and and uh, reframing, but it's also a form of resistance, and what that. Um, brings to mind for me is a book that I've been um, or I just finished reading um, uh, Living While Black and it's about like finding joy and beauty in in, in blackness um, but in that book she talks about like the, the author talks about the tension with religions right especially because of colonization because again like the, the Bible and, the, and, and religion was used as a way to subdue um, you know African uh, peoples and um and I mean, it, it, it's very much intentional. So this was the thing. So I was, um, Carl, you know, I was saying I was trying to fact check because I've come across, again, as a physician, I'm not a historian, I'm not an anthropologist, a lot of um, uh, uh, comments on the fact that there's no Europeans in the actual Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about it, like we, many of us know now that Jesus was not European and was not blonde and blue eyed. But in fact, like no major character in the Bible was European. Right. Europe is referred to, people travel to Europe in the Bible, there's a mention of it, but the main characters are not. So it was very much intentionally like, quote unquote, sold or, or forced down the throats of um, Africans in a way that centered whiteness. Okay. Right? So, so, um, so it's it's not by accident that for a lot of folks who are resisting colonization or, you know, anti-black racism struggle with the issue around religion. But what um, in the book Living Well Black, what the author reminds us about is that it's also been used as a form of resistance, right? Like, so during, um, you know, the times of slavery, even the Underground Railroad, and um, even during the Civil Rights Movement, um, Christianity was also used as a form of like strength and togetherness and and a way to rejoice, but also resist. And so, um, although Kwanzaa is like another step, because it's not even about Christianity, it's another form of resistance. It reminds me of Kind of like that tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Of resisting, but rejoicing and reconnecting. Yes. Um, now, the reconnection piece is key for our wellness, right? It's where we come together and, and yeah, find joy in each other's company. And I think many different cultures and religions, even though, you know, here in North America during this, like we said, during this, quote unquote, holiday time, even if they're not celebrating, I think people do try to, you know, connect in that way. Yep. And I think... Um, I think now if we're, we're going to kind of switch to, you know, today's 
context, right? So we talked about our childhoods and, and the ways that people do it. Mm-hmm. But the pandemic, mm-hmm. I think regardless of whether you are were religious or non-religious or it was your holiday or not your holiday, yeah. um, having time off and having to be in isolation, mm. I think really impacted so many people. We know that, what is the statistic, um, that loneliness is just as detrimental to your health. I think is smoking like 15 cigarettes per day, right? As far as the long-term impact, like they've got like, you know, in, in governments and Europe and other places, they've got like a, a a minister of like looking at issues of loneliness and isolation. Mm-hmm. We know if you want to punish somebody uh, in a really cruel way in prison, what you do is you put them in isolation, I, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Even if they're, they've murdered people, done the most heinous things, you put somebody in isolation and they will crumble, Yeah, right? So I think for, for us all, regardless of, you know, race, religion, or what have you, as human beings, this has been a, a pretty tough couple of years that we've experienced not being able to connect and rejoice, yeah. resist, or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. just being alone. It's true, yeah. Well, we've been talking to, um, you know, our team and some of our listeners, and we've heard uh, people talking about that exact thing, that, you know, dur- especially during the, the times of the pandemic, people have had to become creative in ways of trying to connect or stay connected. Technology has been helpful for mm-hmm. those who yes. are, you know, fortunate enough to have access to technology. So we heard t- people talking about how even this year they're going to be doing Zoom connections. Uh, even within my family, uh, particularly on my mother's side, spread out across the U.S., we can't always get together. So Zoom has become a, a very good tool for people to, to have that connection. You know what? You're reminding me, same thing for our family. Like, although we experienced that, you know, like not being able to all get together, we did Zoom and it was like fairly international with, you know, folks from um, Canada, the United States, UK and in Africa, right? So that's something that we were never able to do before the pandemic or never, I guess we were able to do it, but hadn't thought of it really, right? Something that we can hold and keep going forward with it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So so what what kind of ideas do you have in terms of, you know, how can people bridge that gap? Or if you find yourself in a position where you can't celebrate or get together the way you'd like to, um, some some ways to, I don't know, find find connection, find comfort during this time. Yeah, no. So I mean, I think there's a, a number of ways that you know people have creative ways that people have done this. Um, so you mentioned the Zoom example, or um, I know some people um, have done um, like drop offs at folks' house. So you you know because people like to cook up food. I everybody knows I am not a cook, so this does not include me. You definitely. <laughs> Don't want a Christmas um, turkey or something like that from For me. You, it's like yeah. a lump of coal, huh? Correct, correct. <laughs> yes, but um, but people have done that, right? Like you know, there's an you know a, an elderly person or a senior person, and maybe they don't feel comfortable, go, you know, going out of the house or during the pandemic when we really couldn't. Then yeah. dropping off, you know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. either it was groceries or sometimes it was like really nice cooked meals. Ring the doorbell and the person picks it up. Um, now at this point, I think for the you know, at this point in the pandemic, people are, um, uh, you know, the restrictions are not at the same level. So we, I think we're grateful for that. So I think another thing is gratitude, reflecting on what we've been through for the last two years and knowing that either now we can reconnect or we can see the light at the end of the tunnel that we'll be able to reconnect again in the ways that, you know, um, we might have taken for granted before. The Race, Health, and Happiness podcast will be right back after these short messages. Yeah. 
The Race, Health and Happiness podcast is produced with the support of Toronto Metropolitan University. We are proud to be partnered with TMU, a school that has committed itself to addressing its colonial past, doing its anti-racism work, and moving forward with a mandate to provide an equitable and inclusive learning environment. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, and there's more to come. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors and partners, but we need your help too. We have set up a Patreon account and the funds go towards supporting our students, specifically Black journalism students who work very hard on this podcast and we make it a point to pay them. The link is patreon.com slash racehealthhappy and you can also find it in the show notes. And check us out on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Our handle is at RaceHealthHappy. the Race, Health, and Happiness podcast. I love that now we are going to be moving in the direction of hearing more and more from our students. They are creative, they are talented, yes. and just phenomenal. And so um, into 2023, we're going to be hearing more from them, uh, you know, about um, issues of COVID-19, of issues of Black mental health, and other things that they they think are, you know, important and of priority. So more of um, hearing about the the excellent youth, um, more of that in RHH future. So yeah. Yeah, that, that'll be fantastic. But I wish everybody um, beautiful, happy uh, holidays. Again, it's not just about sur- survival, even if you need to survive some of the relatives that you didn't want to talk to, um, but still find a way for restoration and to sur- thrive. Be well. Be well. Health and Happiness podcast was created by Dr. Ani Norum, and she's our host. The show is produced, edited, and engineered by yours truly, Dr. Carl Cabasell. Our technical producer is Obadiah George. Our showrunner is Cam, and JL Joseph is associate producer. Promotions coordinator is Jordan Gibson. Social media coordinator is Efwa Mfojo. And Javiera Violeta Duran Quieres is our logistics coordinator. Awit Siam is our business manager. And Tamika E. Latibodier is our research consultant. Additional support from Latoya Powell, our special production consultant. And additional voice work by Durell Carpentier. The RHH theme song is composed and performed by Gold Keys. And graphic design is by Veronica Ng. Do you have questions, feedback, ideas to share? We would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at RaceHealthHappy and check out the show notes for research that was referenced in this episode 
as well as other bonus material. Our website is racehealthhappiness.com. Thank you for listening to Race, Health, and Happiness, and please subscribe to us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Dr. Carl Cabasell, and we'll talk with you soon. The Race, Health, and Happiness podcast is brought to you with help from Toronto Metropolitan University and with support from subscribers and listeners like you overcome the obstacles of racism while staying happy and healthy. Donate today at patreon.com backslash race health happy. We are learning together to thrive. Thank you for your support. The Race, Health, and Happiness podcast is made better by the skills, knowledge, and creative passion of the journalism students who work right here on the show. These students join us from Toronto Metropolitan University. Thank you for the hard work, folks. We appreciate you.